0: Good morning, dear church family, and hello to those of you that may have bowed in. When we get up front, you get what we're dealing with a lot of times. or struggling with or thinking through, and today is no exception. Um, and probably um, my thoughts are not far from your thoughts on some of the things I've been thinking about. And that is um, in and around the church and the things we're um, facing and thinking about and the wrestlings of our heart. Um, so I've entitled the message this morning, Keeping the Right Focus. Keeping the Right Focus. You know, distractions are everywhere. Um. Have you ever started out to do something and got about halfway and got hung up in some details and never really got the thing done that you wanted to do? I've done that. Um, And it's annoying at best, and sometimes it can be deadly. Um, My wife tells me that there's a YouTube video of a groom who literally checks his phone while his bride is coming down to the altar. <laughs> That's distraction. I'm sure it was just a nervous habit, but that could be deadly as well, I suppose. <laughs> Distractions. Um, we heard a lot of airplane stories from the pulpit here, and I don't like those. Uh, but it reminds me of the story of the plane that um, crashed because it had a bad indicator light on the dash where they were coming in for their landing and the pilots got up out of the seat to investigate this problem and see what's the matter. And it ended up just, the plane crashed but the investigation shows that it was a bad, faulty bulb, not an actual problem with the plane. So that is an example of getting hung up in the details and getting distracted from the main goal here. So. I want to talk about keeping the right focus when church is in alert. Um, maybe your life can feel like it's in alert sometimes. So, the Lord gave us a kingdom and work to be do- work to be doing, and then along comes church trouble. How do we handle this? Um, the enemy is constantly looking for ways to defeat the work that God has done. Doing in the church and through the church. He wants us to stop. He wants us to become all caught in details and not fulfill the mission that He has given us to do. We must not miss the purpose of Christianity through a difficult church experience. Have you ever heard the saying, you can't see the woods? Because of the trees. forced because of the trees. Well, I may have thought of a new one. Well, we don't want this, but can't see Christianity for the church. That's when church becomes so um, in a way and difficult that we and we lose our focus and we lose our way and we stop doing what Jesus wants us to be doing. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is full of commands and things that Christians are supposed to be doing in spite of difficult times. Um Going the second mile. Loving your neighbor. Loving your enemies. Um, Do good to others and pray. Fast. Give. Lay up treasures in heaven. And the list goes on. These are things that we are to be doing. Actively living out the Christian life. Um, And the reason I um, am saying this is because it's it's a natural tendency within me and maybe in you, during uncertain times to become discouraged and um, worn down. When I get discouraged and worn down, I'm less likely to be that kind of a Christian um, and to be encouraging to others. Um, Is that common to man? I think that's one of Satan's attacks and one of his um, affronts to the church is to make this be difficult and you discourage, therefore the work stops. Um, We are experiencing uncertain times. We've got a second wave of COVID coming around and we're having a church reset. We've got plenty to think about. But in the midst, midst of it all, we must remember who is on the throne And we must keep our eyes on the goal on Christ. Um, Galatians 6 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We must not lose heart and grow weary of doing good. So, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 for a few verses. I think I've shared from this passage maybe too much. Um, Verses 11 through 15, Hebrews 12, starting at 11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, this is the most important part I wanted to point us to. Therefore, strengthen the hands which are hanging down and the feeble knees, and make straight the paths for the feet, for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, with what, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. By this many become defiled. Hastening. I'm not saying that what we're going through in the church is hastening exactly, but there has been pain. Okay. So I think this does apply. We're to bear patiently what we're going through, and let God do His work. However, there's a job for us to be doing in the next, in the meantime, um, and that is strengthening and encouraging. I love what it says in 12: strengthen the hands of shame. Do you ever feel like in difficult times, you just, your hands are hanging down like you just don't have the strength to lift and keep going and working. Just discouragement can take over. Um, and if your knees feel so weak and just can't keep going. Building each other up and encouraging one another is powerful. And that is our job, making our paths I'm not sure exactly what all that means. But treating each other in a way that is making it easy for the other to walk out this Christian life. In verse 14 it says um, that we are to be peacemakers and to look out for one another Because we do not want anyone to fall short. Falling short is a um, big thought, okay? It's not just, oh you didn't get the ribbon at the end of the race. This is eternal, okay? And it's easy to, um, after a while of enough turmoil, enough difficulty, to just say, well, you know, People just got to make their choices. And yes, they do. But we don't want to take flippantly people's eternal souls. We've got to be a team and love each other and pull each other and encourage each other towards Christ and towards a unity. Um, So, I was talking with Calvin on our Western trip. We visited there for, um, spent the night there a couple nights, one night. And um, I enjoyed reconnecting with Calvin a little bit. And he was talking about Peter, and I thought this was really neat. When Peter walked on water, Jesus didn't Jesus didn't stop the storm so to make it possible for Peter to walk on the water. That's ridiculous, right? How does making the waves stop moving then make it possible for me to just walk? That's, that's not, that wasn't the miracle. The miracle was that Jesus had him walk on the storm, on the waves. Um, it wasn't because Jesus fixed the circumstances, but Jesus made it possible. Um, it, because his focus was on the creator of the water. And once he forgot to focus on Jesus, he started to sink. So easy to do. I do that. When we're in the midst of uncertain times, um, and certainly our church could be deemed in uncertain times, um, we also must keep our focus on Christ. when we're in uncertain times, our natural response is to look within at our own resources and see what we've got. How can I handle this? And I believe Peter also looked within. He had his eyes on Jesus and he was walking across these waves. And then he started looking around and seeing how large the waves were and how strong the wind was and started comparing all of that with what he had inside. And I'm sorry... There's not any of us here or in history that can look within and find strength to walk on stormy feet. There's nothing in here that can do that, okay? So when Peter turned his eyes from Jesus and looked within, he started to sink. And then he remembered to call back out on Jesus and Jesus lifted him up again. Want to talk about our focus? Um, just as we tend to um, inward focus when facing a storm, we also tend to look selfishly at difficult situations and circumstances. How are these things affecting me? Tends to be my question. And a newsflash, self—it's not about me. Well, you could say that to yourselves quietly. It's not about me. Um, and I don't know if you've ever thought about that phrase. It really transforms a whole lot of things inside the heart. If you really ponder, it's not about me. And you take that for your day. In fact, somebody had the idea to make it's not about, or so, it's about you, stickers. That way, whenever they're in an airport, airport or a grocery store and there's somebody being pushy or um, selfish, You could just hand them a sticker. So, it's all about you. Now, who could legitimately answer, yeah, it's about me, and receive a sticker like that? It's all about me, okay? Um, Sometimes, God has had to give me a sticker. Um, So, it's all about you, huh? Uh, I may be frustrated about a situation. I was trying to think of an exact example. And as close as I could get is something I imagine that probably happened. I think it has. Um, I'll be in the car dealing with restless children. And I'm frustrated because my wife has not come to the car yet. And I'm probably hungry too. And when she finally comes, um, she tells me that She's was talking so-and-so about the Lord, and she's really considering these things. And God reaches down and gives me a sticker. So it's all about you. And I forgot, it was not all about me. Um, so who is it all about? Um, to further remind that it's not about me, or you can say that about yourself. First Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Hello? You were bought out of Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's if that wasn't enough, Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable. It's not even like, wow, you did that? No, it's like, that's just the baseline. So, it doesn't sound like it's all about me. Um something that I need to remember and you may also need to remember from time to time is that when I said yes to the Lord Jesus, I also said no to self. And I created my problem of sin and death that I could not fix for His righteousness and life. That's a good trade. That was a good trade. My self and my and my death problem because I had no eternal life traded all that for His life and now it's only reasonable that I give all of my life to Him so remember that the next time you feel impatient (laughs) and my children will remind me of that probably Um, you are not your own it's not about me and, you know, since Bethel is such a stellar example of a church, I try to think of a good parallel church from Scripture. And um, I thought of Corinthians. You know, Corinthians was um, quite the church. I'm going to turn there. You can turn there too. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They had quite a lot of issues, okay? And I'm not going to go into details now. That's not the point. You know that the Corinth, the Corinthian church, had issues. And look at how Paul starts. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sassus, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are, sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all who are in every place call on the name of the Lord our Jesus Christ our Lord both theirs and ours grace to you peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ i thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything By Him, in all utterance, all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. His telling you. So did you catch in there what the Corinthians were doing to deserve such a blessing and praise? Wait. There wasn't anything that they did. They didn't, it didn't mention anything that the Corinthians were doing right to deserve this kind of praise. But that's because it's not about them. It's about the Lord Jesus. There was a whole lot right with the Corinth church in spite of what they were doing wrong. In spite of what was wrong with them. Um, Paul proclaimed their position in Christ and pronounced blessing upon them. He lifted them up, not because of their works, but because of what the Lord work is already finished in them. If you read through that, it's just blessing them and encouraging them and um, lifting them up. Not based on their good job, you guys. It was based on the Lord's finished work. We as a church have our problems, but we are blessed and beloved in Christ Not because of our good works, but because of our position in Him, because of His work in us. Um, We actually need to exercise this talent. Um, We need to practice speaking Christ's blessing over each other, I think. Just like Paul did. We can do that. Um, The spoken word is powerful. You know, if all I hear is how much... Of a failure I am, and all the things I've done wrong, and how I should have been doing better. um, It's not likely I'm going to be much of an overcomer. But if people continue to continually speak God's power and grace into my life, that's a different story. It's just how are you going to see it? How are we going to see each other? Are we going to see each other for um, what God is doing and who God is in you, or my failures? Um, I believe we have the right duty to speak this kind of truth in each other's lives. Okay, a side note about testimonies. Um, I'm not good at testimonies, okay? So, and I'm not being hard on anybody either. So, um, but often, we'll hear something like, well, we're all human, and um, I've had my struggles, and I'm thankful for second chances, and I'm thankful for forgiveness. And I don't know where I'd be without Christ. And that's a good testament, okay? Not Knock, Knocking it. But another person can get up and say, I am redeemed, I am washed by the blood, I have God's spirit within me, and I am loved. And it's just as true as can be. And you hear the difference. Because... It wasn't all about me. It was all about Him. And that is powerful. What was the difference? It's the focus. When I focus on I, um, it's going to sound pretty depressing. But if my focus is on Christ and His work in me, then we've got something to get excited about. Alright, so Paul continues here in First Corinthians. And Paul has a lot of love in his approach. Truth and love. In Christianity, need to be married and have a good relationship. Because truth can be invasive and earth-shattering by itself. But with love, it can become something um, beautiful and acceptable. And Paul, he comes first and just blesses them. Um, one thing I was going to say about truth and love. In the context of the Gospel, you can give truth without love, but you cannot truly love without giving truth. So Paul, after affirming them in the faith, had to give some admonishment. Let's look at verse 10-17. through 17. Now I plead with you, Bethel, I mean brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of close household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say that this, And each of you says, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Theophilus or Peter. Or I am of Christ. If Christ divided, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christmas and Gaius lest some of you should say that I had baptized in my own name. And then he continues to Think back of who all he may have baptized, but he says, um, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the Gospel. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I'm guessing that there were varying opinions on doctrinal and traditional things back in the day. And apparently, um, possibly in the leadership as well. Isn't it normal for me to want all of you to think like me? Isn't that just normal? Y'all feel that way too? When it comes to differing opinions, um, I'd like everybody to see it my way. Because of course, I wouldn't think this way if I wasn't right or didn't think I was right. Um, after all, I am of Apollos, by the way. Um, Then the situation in Corinth here spirals into petty sides and arguments. I follow Paul. No, I follow Jesus. Um, He would say I'm right in this issue. Um, And the whole while they forget the heart of Christ, and they forget that it's not about me. It's not about my opinions. It's not about me feeling right in this moment. And remember Peter, when he started to think, When he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the waves, how big they were? I think the same is true with our differences and issues. When we take our eyes off of Jesus for a minute, when we look at each other, we can, the differences are like those waves, and they can seem ever so big. Insurmountable. Let's jump to chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you that, testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What does that mean? Paul says in verse 2 I determined not to know anything in you except Christ and Him crucified. Instead of having eyes that are always looking at the differences and always looking at inconsistencies, to have the eyes of that spiritual eyes that are always looking for Christ. Inside of life, just okay, I'm not there yet. That is beautiful. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What kind of church that we have that's the connection, the level of unity that we can have is we're just. We're looking for Christ in each other. And when we see it, we encourage it. We bless that. Just like we saw Paul do at the beginning here. Not because of your greatness, obviously, but I see Christ here. That is beautiful. Keep the faith, brother sister. Keep going. Um, That where that is truly the basis of Christian unity. It really comes back to focus. Focus. Where is our focus? You know, back in Moses day when the serpents came to the camp. The bitten, were to go and gaze upon the pole that had the serpent on it. God told Moses to put a brass serpent, serpent on a pole, and all those that have been bitten can go gaze at the pole and they shall recover. Now, I suppose that the natural thing to do with getting bitten is to first look within and check your immune system and see how, you know, am I going to be able to overcome this or not? When you realize you're not, and the next thing is focus on the wound. Focus on that wound. Yep, it's swelling. Look, it's getting bad. It's hurting, and, and our focus is on the problem. It's on the problem. But God says, "No, don't focus on the problem. Go focus on the second on the pole." And all those who did were healed. I believe that there is healing for this church and for you in your personal lives and for me if we stop focusing so much on our differences and on our problems and start focusing on the cure, on our Lord who has paid our debt. And when you look at all of his sufferings and what he has done for our lives, it makes our differences and our opinions seem a little bit petty. And I guess if we would also consider the sufferings of other Christians around the world, it can make our, our issues here at Buffalo seem like first world problems um, because of the great suffering of other Christians. So um, I'm safe this morning because there's no pilots sitting here that I'm aware of. But when a plane is coming in for landing, you're flying the pattern, and you you get in line with the runway. You can't just hit a few buttons and shut your eyes expect to wake up on the taxiway. In fact. I'm not aware that autopilot is ever used for landing. Maybe an assist, but maybe nowadays. But autopilot, okay, for landing, is there's so much focus, focus, focus required to um, take um, all the um, angles and the forces into consideration and maintain your um, alignment with the runway. Um, you can't just put it in autopilot and land. You know, especially if it's a choppy day with wind, crosswinds. You may have lined up, but you have to constantly be compensating as you keep your eye on the goal of the runway. Um, and when I mow the church lawn out here, I like to do straight, lines. And with a zero time, that's a little difficult because it doesn't have positive traction. But um, I have to choose three points and keep the end one in register with the others and keep compensating as I go to keep that line straight. And the challenge for us as Christians is, yes, we work, live, and play and have all these things that we do. But in the midst of it all, We have to keep our eyes on the goal, maybe compensating, compensating as we go. And please, we must never adjust the goal to fit our life and our play and our work. We must adapt our life and play and work to the goal in order to make it safely to the end. So, uh, my dad told me of, in Canada, a DC-3 crashed on landing. Um, A DC-3 had a tail-dragging plane, so you have to pay good attention to not letting the rear get front of the front and landing. Well, the reason he crashed is because he was trying to eat a sandwich, which is a lame reason to crash a plane. Eat a sandwich during landing, and that's a compromise that didn't need to be taken. So, in closing, I want to read Hebrews twelve two, a fitting verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Truly, it's not about me it's not about you it is all about the author and finisher of our faith he is alpha and omega the beginning and the end he is our creator he deserves every bit of our life down to our attitudes and our thoughts and that's a challenge that I want for myself and I'll leave it with you this morning God bless you